Drive into left center, and what a play made by the rookie Brian O'Grady. Pitch. Oh, into right field. Brian O'Grady, first big league home run. Fly ball, center field struck well. Marisnik going back at the wall. Gone! Welcome back, Brian O'Grady. And welcome inside episode 60 of the Breaking Bats podcast presented by Not For Long Media. My name is Justin Ayers, uh, and I'm joined once again by Ryan Ribkin. Uh, he, he's sitting in the co-pilot seat for this episode. Back after a couple weeks, uh, it's great to see you again, Ryan. We have so much awesome stuff coming up on this episode. Uh, with a, a good interview with uh, a, you know, a great buddy of yours, Tyler Nevin. So, uh, Ryan, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm sorry for the little hiatus. You know, had a... Uh... Had to uh, make some rounds. I did get to go to spring training, though, so that could be something we can kind of dive into later. Uh, went down to the Sarasota-Tampa region. Um, but, yeah, overall, great. And, honestly, having having, having Nevin on, Tyler on, was was a blast. I mean, yeah, you'll, you'll notice for the, the ones that listen, you get going with guys about, you know, certain moments and stories. And, uh, you know, Tyler and I played with, together in 2021, and, and it was uh, – just above all, great catching up with a friend. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I loved about, like, wh- I wanted Tyler on because, like, I knew you knew him. But, like, also, like, you have that, like, innate stuff built in where it's, like, you know, people are going to enjoy hearing the back and forth and talking about, like, you know, your famous fathers and growing up in a baseball family and playing in Norfolk at Harbor Park. Like, there's things that, like, I wouldn't be able to, like, ask and really dig in about. Uh, but I'm glad I had you with me because I think it's going to it's gonna be a really, really good episode for people that stick around. So, um, very thankful that Tyler gave us an hour and, uh, very thankful that you were able to reach out on, on my behalf. So, uh, it's going to be good. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think he'll be back on in the future, which will be, will be the fun part, but, uh, he's great. And I think that's the beauty of it all too, Justin, you're, you, when we, when people are able to come on, you learn even more about than just hearing the name and, and seeing a face, uh, and, and Tyler gives some really great perspective and insight to uh to his own path and journey i love it dude uh it was so much fun but this episode it's episode 60 uh and we always like to do the you know episode number correlated to a major league baseball player's jersey number we're getting up there in the in the double digits now we're at number 60 so uh you know they're a little bit few and far between mostly pitchers i've noticed that wear the high the high double digits there but for 60 we're going to give this one out to michael givens uh I'm so glad he's back in Baltimore. I had so many great memories of watching him, you know, th- those great runs that the Orioles had there in the late 2010s. But he, I'm, I'm glad he's back. Funky delivery, hard thrower. Uh, and did you, you, you had to have crossed paths with him at some point, I'm assuming. Crossed paths with just being in the organization a little bit. You know, never really got to know him, uh, but he definitely was a part of and coming up. And actually, if I remember correctly, he wasn't a pitcher to start off his career. And he transitioned from being a position player to and that's usually it's always kind of a, a for guys they worry it feels almost like a death sentence when you're when you're being told that oh i you know hey we want to switch you we want to see if you can pitch and you're like oh no like i hope this works out and in his case it it it, it, it really worked out uh, so it was cool to see and um i think another one i think isn't kenley jansen a uh similar s- situation wasn't he a, a catcher i'd like to say could be wrong with that undrafted free agent catcher by the Dodgers in 2004. Uh, so I'm never, I'm never wrong. Just edit the last part out. On if it. I'm wrong, never oh, wrong. 
Kenley Jett, but the point is, it's cool. It doesn't happen a ton, but those are two examples right there that have gone on to have, you know, successful careers in the big leagues. No doubt, man. Um, so we're going to bring back fill in the blank, little news roundup for everybody here. Uh, so the way it's going to work is I'm going to give a prompt, you know, have Ryan and myself fill in the answer here. So this first one in honor of the world baseball classic, which is in full swing. I'll be honest. I've only really watched team USA. I know there's been some great other countries playing, um, but uh, team USA, they beat uh, great Britain six to two in their first game on Saturday. And then last night I stayed up way too late to watch them play Mexico. Joey Manessis of the nationals, two home runs, uh, not great for, you know, the guys in the red, white, and blue there. So they ended up losing 11 to five USA did, but that's all to say fans of team USA and USA baseball should feel blank about that loss to Mexico and how their pitchers have performed. I I'd feel anxious mm. and it's mainly just because of, I think you, I, I, I'm not worried about the USA can't win, but the only thing that gets anxious now is these tiebreakers. And I think I believe the tiebreaker is on uh runs or runs allowed per, per inning or per game, I think. So the 11 runs given up was concerning. I think the other part too is, the USA play, and again, it can go either way. You know, just some of those big time, the big time stars haven't uh, been playing the way that you've seen if you've been watching the rest of the World Baseball Classic. Yeah, World Baseball Classic. You know, Santander is just Tony Taters is going nuts for Venezuela. Rosarina was another guy also that was is having a great World Baseball Classic. Um, but the U.S. hasn't had that yet, so that's a positive that it hasn't happened. But you're anxious about, well, are they going to get going uh, or can they get move on? Because baseball, if a starting pitcher is on one day, can change the complete complexion of the game. You're absolutely right. Uh, when you're listening to this on Wednesday, they will have already played against Canada. But for the sake of you and I right now, this will all be moot here in a couple of days. Uh, if the USA loses to Canada, it would put them on the brink of elimination. But if Canada wins, it would be uh, you know potentially a path to advance to the quarter quarterfinals in Miami. So um, that has no relevance on Wednesday. But uh, for the sake of us talking about it, uh, but there's, the World Baseball Classic is interesting. And like I didn't know that the pitchers have pitch count limits. So in the first round, pitchers can only throw sixty five. Quarterfinals, mm -hmm. it's 80, and then semifinals and championship, it's 95. That's that's a hard way to manage the game because you're you're relying on bullpens. You're you're going deep into your your stockpile of arms there for Mark DeRosa. But um, I think this all just kind of comes back to the lack of like dominant starters that like, agree to play for Team USA. Cause we talk about this lineup, it's Mike Trout, it's Arenado, Goldschmidt, Mullins, like it's it's like the dream team of baseball. But for starting pitching, they didn't really get those guys. You didn't get the Scherzers. You didn't get the Verlanders. So um, I don't know if you've picked up on that same thing, but anxious is a good way to describe it. Yeah, no, I think with they still have some good arms. It's just to your point of when you're looking around, well, well, why aren't the why why aren't the US have some of those the elite at the top of their game right now? But again, the USA does have some great pictures, but it, it's it, the, the the different situation too is, and this is where you're trying to get ready for spring training but you're playing for your country and playing for your country. And you could see, especially with some of these countries where like they're passionate, it means something more. And for the USA, it does as well. But for, for some of these guys, you're in the back of your mind of like, look, I want to pitch well as a competitor. 
but I want to stay healthy. I want to be okay because you're trying to go and win a world series. So that's, that's the fine line of it. Um, but make no mistake. It really just takes one good outing to, to get that confidence going. And I do believe though, with the pitchers that the U S has, they can make a run, but they are going to need some of that star power in that lineup because let's just face it. I mean, we're seeing it across with other teams. The USA is going to need some of those big guys to step up um, to especially win a uh, world baseball classic. I think that's, that's very well said that, yeah, that's, that's why, like I was looking at the, the roster of pitchers and I'm like, where, where are the aces, the true number ones? Don't get me wrong. Like Adam Wainwright pitched a great game in that first game. Um, but like Nick Martinez was okay. He kind of got hit around a little bit by Mexico. They have like Merrill Kelly, Miles Michaelis, Lance Lynn, Kyle Freeland, Brady Singer. These are like twos and threes. They're all very, very good pitchers. Probably most of them will do 30 starts and have a sub four ERA, but it's like, it would have been nice to have one of like the elite of the elite, but I guess you don't want to sacrifice. Like if you, if you're going on a team, that's like, if you're Scherzer and you want to pitch deep into October, do you really want to be put? you know, stressing the arm and, and, you know, the middle of March for high pressure situations, probably not. Yeah. And and, get, and I, I'll tell you what, you know, who doesn't want Scherzer or, uh, getting hurt or whatnot is, is the Mets, you know? So, yes. you know, and that's the thing. And that as a fan, like as a U.S. fan, I want to see them win. If I was a Mets fan, probably not caring as much about the world baseball classic and it just wrote your allegiances. You know, I, Personally, you know, I obviously, you know, have ties with the Orioles, but I love seeing how much it matters to the players. And if something were to happen and they were doing something they loved, it wouldn't bother me. But it doesn't mean it's not going to matter to someone else where some of these fan bases are, have been dying and starving for for a, uh, a chance at a title in the Mets specifically. Like, it, they, they are hungry for it. And, uh, and Scherzer would be a huge part of that. If uh, if he if he if he isn't healthy, that's a huge blow to a team like the Mets. So take it with what you will. Should be fun. I mean, but it's been, it's been a blast, hasn't it? Yeah. Like it's. Oh, but actually, you brought this up real quick. The 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 late starts. I know it's in Arizona, but can we please make the games at eight, or seven? Just move every game up. I know maybe it's it's inconveniencing other people. But on the East Coast, these late games are rough. These, uh, like, yeah, like 9 p.m. I think was the other night. Tonight, Monday nights, 10 o'clock Eastern. So uh, get the coffee. Go, put a pot of coffee on if you want to watch USA uh, and Canada square off. It's, it's, it's obnoxious how late these things are going. I can't, you know, as a 9 to 5 job worker, I can't be staying up till 1.30 in the morning watching World Baseball Classic Baseball. I just can't. Yeah, I mean, I, use, I I'm a night owl, so. But having said that, my I'm not always looking to dive into a game that late because I will if I get too amped up in a game, then I'm definitely not sleeping, you know. And that's exactly what's <laughs> going to happen. It's like, come on, you're here it is, and then uh, that's how I felt every time. I'll tell you what, every time the Ravens had primetime games and I'd go to a football game, when the game ended, I was too amped up to be going to bed right at midnight. Uh, you gotta let the, you gotta let the adrenaline, you know, and, and the, uh, yeah. the energy drop. So, especially if you see Venice, I'm watching Venezuela right now, any of those teams, I'm getting fired up. I don't want to go to bed. I want to go root for one of those squads. It's amazing. It um, is hard. As soon as the game ends to just flip it, flip the switch and be like, all right, back to reality. 
time for bed. <laughs> like it is All right, go to sleep, just like that. <laughs> Screaming at my TV for three and a half hours. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of fun though. I need to watch some more of these games. I, I know I always try to make a point to watch Team USA, but there are so many other like I saw Israel uh played the other day. Like there's there's things that I, I would like to watch and players from teams that I follow that are playing. So it's like, yeah, let's let's try to expand that a little bit. So much baseball. So much baseball. It's it's the well, best. We love it. Uh one player that I wish was on Team USA, but he's with the Orioles right now and he's crushing spring training is Adley Rutschman. Uh, you'll hear you know, a good portion of our interview with Tyler Nevin. We talked about Adley Rutschman. But uh, with the Orioles right now, go ahead, Grand Slam over the weekend. Two home runs in spring. Uh, last year, 13 in 113 games. Let's look ahead, though. Let's do a little over-under for our guy, Adley Rutschman. The over-under for 2023 bombs for Adley should be set at blank. 23 and a half. I was going to say 24 yeah. and a half, but I'll say 23 and a half, mainly because I think he has all the ability to hit 30, you know, but I'm not going to put that expectation on him. I think the over and under initially what I saw with some betting was 16 and a half or something like that or 17, which if that's the case, hammer that. Ha- yeah. Like, you know, I I, I, I don't, uh, I'm, I don't put bets down on baseball just because, you know, you never know being involved with it, but, if I was a betting man, I think Adley's going to hit over. If I'm putting 23 and a half, then that should speak for itself. I didn't even know that like that number had been calculated by, you know, sports books and, and odds makers. I just thought that this would be, yeah, I guess you're right. I had 24 and a half was the number I had in my brain. Uh, we're I, think close. He's getting, I think he's getting 25. I'm taking the, if, if it was set at 24 and a half, I'd still hammer the over. I think this guy, you know, he only played 113 games this last year. He, you know, he missed all of April and I think, what did he get call it? May? Um, yeah. So, you, you know, mixing a little DH in there. I, I don't see why this guy couldn't be 25. Like you said, pushing 30. So yeah. it's gonna be a fun year. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, if, if a fully healthy athlete playing a full season, I think he, he gets 140 games in, mm-hmm. you know, and obviously he's not, he's not going to be catching 140 games of DHing. And with that, with his ability at the plate, um, I can see it, especially even though I know they moved the wall back and and left, but still a nice place to hit it to right. And, uh, and he's definitely got power from both sides. That's oh, the best. Um, so uh, next up and fill in the blank. Uh, so we had uh, the Reds play-by-play man, John Sadak on last week. It's got me in a Reds mindset, man. I got to be honest. I was diving deep. I was lo- looking at prospect lists. I was looking at, you know, guys they have coming up this year, but the mainstay of the Cincinnati Reds lineup for so many years has always been Joey Votto. And he came back to, uh, to action for the Reds for the first time since uh, August 19th of last year when he had surgery to repair his left rotator cuff and bicep. Didn't realize his whole arm was messed up. Um, if you had to put into words what Joey Votto means to the Reds, what, what would you say? He, he means blank to the Reds. I was going to say it's not the right verbiage, but, uh, you know, he underappreciated you know, in, in some cases, underappreciated for the Reds. And, and again, it's not the right verbiage for it. Um, Joey Votto's been through a lot of things with that team. And, and I think sometimes we get lost with how, how special of a career he's actually had. And so I shouldn't say that the Reds are underappreciative. I think it's just um, he is the, uh, the, he has been a foundational structure for them since he since he came to the big leagues 
And, uh, and those guys, especially nowadays, seeing a guy stay with one team as long as he has, um, has been really cool to see. Yeah, it's. I, I guess I wrote that with the word everything in mind. So yeah, to you can to, you know play around, play around with how you want to phrase it, but he does mean everything because I love one team guys. He's been there for so long. I think this is the last year of a ten year deal he signed. Um, for so many years, it was always like, when's this guy gonna start hitting for power? All he does is walk, and he's like, oh okay, cool, yeah, I can just I can hit thirty six at will. Um, in twenty twenty one, he had thirty six and ninety nine ribs. So, um, yeah, he's just heart and soul of the team. I love anybody who comes on who's associated with the Reds asking them questions about Joey just because, like John Sadak said, he's like one of the most interesting men he's ever been around. He's like a true Renaissance man. Like his passions are, are you know, run deep and he, he's very well read on so many things. So um, one of the most underappreciated, undervalued, like whatever you want to call it, like he is a superstar and he has mm-hmm. been for a very long time. And uh, if you're a Cincinnati Reds fan, you have to be loving seeing him suit up for, uh, you know, the red legs there. So um, it's been great. I can't wait to watch him this year. Yeah, I mean, 2007, I was looking it up. So he debuted in 2007 at 23 years old. He is going to be, or how old? Right now he is 39. So imagine that it's been the entirety of his career has been with this team. And just let's just face it, it's just not the same anymore seeing guys with one organization. And it's it's special. And that's again, that's that's no knock. It's just the reality of it. And to see it happen. And you know, the last the big names, um, you know, the Yankees had a couple with Jeter and Mariano, which was cool to see. Uh, I just always seen how much uh, seeing the transition of someone grow up and yeah. and Joey Votto really, you know, his his entire adult life uh has been being a Cincinnati Red. So and that means a lot, yeah. I like it from a, from a fan's perspective because that seems like a guy that you can just go buy his jersey and have it be relevant. There's nothing worse than when you buy, you know, a $200 jersey of somebody and then they get traded or leave or whatever. So, um, you know, I think, I think as a Reds fan, that's it's like all the Pirates fans that have McCutcheon jerseys. I don't know. Hopefully they didn't do anything to them because, uh, you know, He's this back. is just like the things we think about. Yeah. You don't want to be rocking somebody who's like three teams back. So. Oh yeah, I mean, it's, imagine you bought a, a Turner and Max Scherzer Dodgers uni. Well, no, that was yeah. that was nice in the moment for a couple months, a few months, whatever it was, and then, but hey, maybe that's a relic now, and you can hold that on and maybe sell it at a different time if you're a player. But yeah, that's it matters. It's cool to see that. It's cool to be like, yeah, that guy's a red. That's my guy. Red is my guy. Yep. Yeah, I hope he keeps playing. I hope this year, you know, a fully healthy, full season. Joey, come back. Do another year. Like, you know, the power's still there. Still play a mean first base. I don't want Joey Votto to retire because that would be that would be a very sad day around the game of baseball. Um, for sure. Uh, so I had like one last, last one for you, and then we'll get to our interview for this week. Um, a couple of extensions were handed out. A couple young players got their bag. The Diamondbacks and Corbin Carroll, eight-year extension worth at least $111 million guaranteed money. And then the Washington Nationals locked up their catcher, K. Bear Ruiz, for eight years. I think it's like 50. Could be wrong on the number there. Um, this should, uh, you know, blank other teams with young talent around the league. What? How should other teams with young talent around the league feel watching Corbin and K. Bear get their bag? This should encourage other teams. You know, I actually had a discussion with this uh, with a couple, couple high school friends the other day. And they were talking about, because again, being in Baltimore with the Orioles and the younger players, 
because they're seeing this. Why aren't because it, it's great, like seeing what these young players got. It's it's fantastic because you're you're stabilizing now. Could they eventually, if you bet on yourself and and you wait, like for sure. And I do think that when people talk about the Orioles and Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson specifically, um, you'd even make more sense for Gunnar being younger than that. I mean, Adley's already he went through college. He's a little bit older. And, yeah. but for Adley's case, I wouldn't want to take a discount because I'm betting that he's going to be very good for his time. You're to wait these younger players. They're taking they're taking the money as given to, and then they're hoping they can get a second contract, but they're yeah. guaranteeing themselves some st- stability. And for that reason, a team should inquire about it. If you believe in a young guy, brave doing this for a while, if you believe in a guy, give him some money up front, and you'll find a way that you'll save some. And then you're just, you got to bet that that guy's going to work out for you. And if it does, it's a win win for both sides. Um, and it, it just and it's just nice to see for certain guys, but I get it. You're afraid that it's going to blow up in your face. Um, but for those young guys, absolutely, you get a big contract. What was it, 111 million for Carroll? Yeah, over eight. So it's like a little less than 14 a year. So again, like the average value isn't much, but if you're telling that a kid that hasn't played more than 100 games in the big leagues, right? Oh, less than that. Yeah, I think he's like 30 or 40. And and you're able to solidify yourself. It takes the pressure off of you as a as a young player too. Now go out there, play your best ball, and and when the time comes, you know, go get that second contract. So um, we'll see. I mean, what's your take? How do you feel? What's the blank for you? I, I think this should light a fire under other teams. I think this should be mm. a wake up call because if the Arizona Diamondbacks, who I I think they had they, they had a, a surprising 2022 season. They had yes, yeah, 74. That was coming off of a season the year before they had 52. So their trajectory is going up um, right. and they're trying to have guys locked up, you know, to be the core of that next, you know, great franchise out there. But um, yeah, there's so many other teams that this could easily apply to. The Orioles obviously came to mind first with Adley and Gunner. I could see I, that, that's a great point though, with Adley being a little bit older and Gunner being, you know, that so much younger drafted out of high school. Like, you know, I, you could draw the parallel with him and Corbin Carroll. Carroll's 22, you know, K bears yeah. 24. So it's you know, kind of the same boat, but yeah. Um, yeah, this, this should absolutely, if you believe in a guy and he's the, you're the number one prospect in the game or whatever, like what's, what's 14 mil a year to, you know, it's a, it's a win-win scenario. We can get him at a, at a dollar amount in eight years, like buy out free agency for a couple of years. Like, yeah, sign me up for that. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Like it's, it's, it's a, everyone believes that you're going to go off and make more money. You're going to get a bigger contract, but there is still the uncertainty. This is still life-changing money. You know, yeah. this is. And especially with how great the you know the uh, players associate players union is for uh, MLB, that's and getting that money and it's the guarantee like that you're getting that money, it sets yourself up and it, and it validates what you've done so far. And for teams, it makes you look like it makes you even look even better that you're paying your guy. So the optics of it looks great for everybody if you choose to do it. Um, yeah, so I'll be curious if this will be a trend that moves forward. And to be honest, I mean, it's worked out for the Braves, so you're seeing it's yeah, it's been productive. So it's it's not a negative thing. It, there's been a lot of positives around playing your young guys early, paying your young Absolutely. guys early. It it's just like there's no downside. Yeah, like the Atlanta Braves have been doing this for so long, and we've talked so much about this on this podcast where it's like they're handing out eight and ten year deals like they're candy, but. They're, it, they have a, you know, there's a method to all this madness and you might look at it and be like, what only 82 million for Michael Harris or whatever it was. It's like, 
yeah, it, you know, he's he just came off of the minor league career where he's probably having to like scrounge up for meal money depending on where he got drafted or whatever. So, um, yeah, throw me eighty-two million dollars and I'll be a, a very ha- very happy man. Yeah, you get a bag, you get a bag, you get a bag. Yeah. You know what I mean, hey, give them the bag, let them go out and play, and and not feeling like they have to play with something over their shoulder, and they can just focus on being the best ball player they can do or be yeah. best ball player they can be awesome. Now the downside is again, if they stink and the money goes down the drain, well, you know, uh, that's the reality of it. But again, you believe in your guy. You think he's a cornerstone. Yeah. You're calling him up at this age. All right. Pay the man, pay the guy. Yeah. And plus like, it's good for the player because if they are like, if Corbin Carroll turns out to be a generational outfielder, he's going to hit free agency at 31 years old. So it's like, yeah, you're still young enough in this free agency. This offseason is this offseason has proven that like if you're good in your early 30s, you can still make a boatload of money. That's not it's not the kiss of death being 30 years old anymore. I mean, Trey Turner got you know 11 years. You know, Aaron Judge got nine years. Like all these guys are going to get paid until they're 40. So, um, yeah, the, the game has changed. I love it. Like if you're a fan of that team, you can just know that like Ruiz is my catcher for the next eight years. Carroll's my center fielder, or I guess he's been a corner now. Um, I love that. There's it's it's my favorite thing, and I hope it continues. Hopefully, Orioles will open up the checkbook a little bit, get some of their guys locked up. But um, in the meantime, that's it's a very fun thing that's happening right now. It, it is. It's exciting. Again, talk about good branding and marketing for the next generation of players. That it, that's great to see. And yeah. You just hope for it. And also the other guy you're, uh, you missed on, on cashing out at, at still getting another contract at 30. Manny Machado just got another oh, master yeah. deal. So, I mean, he's like, yep, I'm done after five years and, and, and getting $150 million. Let me get another $350 million, right? That was the deal? So it was I think 10 that- years, three fifty, or is it another three hundred? Regardless of it, I'm pretty sure he just bagged $500 million from the Padres. Yeah, so he got – I know the first one was 10 for 300 because that was an, be, even 30. And then the second one was 11 for 350. So – Right um, around – I mean, his career earnings, it's pretty good. 30 I, yeah. years old, 30 years old, they're still handing it out. You get a bag. You get a bag. Love it. <sighs> yeah, it's it's so much fun. Um, well, cool. That's, that's all I had for the news this week. Uh, our interview with Tyler Nevin, we talked about it at the top. It's fantastic. I hope you guys stick around and listen to it. Yeah, let's get out of here and get to the interview. You guys are going to love it. Enjoy, and, uh, you know, hey, I'll see you guys next time. What's going on, everyone? Uh, We got another special guest, and uh, for me, it's even more special because it's actually one of my former teammates. Tyler Nevin is joining Justin and I today, and background, Tyler and I were teammates. I mean, I'm losing my mind a little bit, Tyler. 2021, right? Our friendship just blossomed. Uh, Tyler's now with the Detroit Detroit Tigers, and, and we're just pumped to finally get you on. So, Tyler, welcome uh, to the Breaking Bats Pod. How you doing? Doing great, doing great, Rip. Always good to see you, Justin. Nice to meet you as well. Um, happy to be here. Let's chop it up. Yeah, we'll chop it up. I mean, it looks like uh, you have a lot of downtime. I don't think a lot of people understand. It's a lot of hours, and then a lot of uh, sitting around a hotel room or. Going to Longhorn Steakhouse, whatever works, floats your boat. Yeah, um, it uh, it's not always uh, super glamorous. I mean, uh, wonderful town place suites, Marriott, and uh, you know it's doing good. It's got a bed, it's got a TV. I sleep, I go to the field, I come back, 
I sleep again. Just the, stand, the standard life of spring training, and you're a very simple man, so it makes it very easy. Yes. Uh, Justin, I'll let you jump into the questions, and then I'll just yeah. I'll uh, badger Tyler when I feel like it. Yeah, absolutely. So I did want to take it back, though, to start. So obviously growing up in a baseball family with your father, Phil Nevin, uh, what's the earliest thing that you can remember about being around the game, whether it like being in at a clubhouse, maybe running around the backfields? What, what's, what's the earliest thing you can think that you can remember? Yeah, uh, I bet you Riff can attest this too, but uh, you're always rooting for dad's team when it means you get to go in the clubhouse after the, afterwards. Um, so honestly, it didn't matter what he did any one of those games. I just wanted the Padres. He was mainly with the Padres when I was growing up. I just wanted the Padres to win because that way I could go down, hang out with the boys after the game, enjoy a win with them. And that's, that's definitely probably where I fell in love with the game, honestly. Absolutely. I mean, so your your dad played until you were nine, then he coached after. But like, what was that experience like growing up? Um, you know, having him like you know gone for long periods of time. Like, what was the family dynamic like during that time? Yeah. So fortunately enough, uh, he was in San Diego for most of and established for most of what I remember. Um, that two thousand to two thousand six range. You know, I was three to ten, um, and just being able to uh, be in the same area all year long off season and during the season was great. Uh, spring training, uh, not, not too fo- not too long. You know, we would go during spring, uh, spring break for us for school. And uh, so it, it, he was gone, you know, for road trips and stuff, but for the most part, you know, it was just a couple weeks at a time and he'd be right back home. So we were, we were really fortunate in that regard. As I'm learning now as a player, it doesn't always work out that great, you know, being able to, be at home for majority of the year. I love that. And plus like, and this is probably where Ryan can jump in too, where it's like when you started playing baseball yourself, like was there any like extra pressure to perform or like internal or external factors that kind of affected the, you know, the baseball journey for yourself? Yeah, not, not, not for my dad ever, you know, it's just it kind of a sense of responsibility. Like you want to kind of live up to what people think they might see in you. Um, but my dad was always great. Uh, with making sure that it didn't come from him. He always wanted me to play other sports, push me to do other things. Um, I just happened to take a liking to baseball, you know? Um, but yeah, not, not from him, just, you know, the normal stuff when you hear, especially in San Diego growing up with the Nevin name in that time frame. Uh, but it was nothing I would ever dreaded. I was, I was always really proud of, of my dad and, and my family. So, um, you know, it was something I took with, took with me and I tried to make myself better out of it and Ryan too like I imagine like you know the coaching that took place like you know in the backyard I feel like that has to be like one of the coolest experiences to have somebody as talented as both of your fathers were just having that person be the one to teach you the game like that had to be like the coolest thing ever yeah I think it's cool where in this I think it's kind of when you look back you know I think at the time when you're a kid that's you know like Nev you probably that's how I felt at least is when you went in, you were excited to be in the locker room because it was it was fun, it was cool, but you didn't really know anything differently. It was just an experience. You got to you got to be at work with your dad, you yeah. know, and, and and to and to see the guys and and for me, it's like that that was just the cool part. But it wasn't kind of wow, this guy's really good at baseball, you know. This is just my dad and just another element um, of exposure. But I mean, now I think. I mean, you could touch on it too, but that, that that's just kind of how I felt. It was you appreciate the lessons from your father in the game as you get older, but at that young of an age, you know, you're just kind of valuing, you know, yeah. just time with dad. 
Yeah, the lessons aren't really learned. You know, sit down, here's your lesson. It's just kind of absorbing what's around you, really. Um, you know, Rip, you were around plenty of Hall of Famers in Baltimore, San Diego, too, with Trevor Hoffman, Tony Gwynn. And they were basically just dad's friends. You know, they weren't these idol figures of, of you know, that you get starstruck. I, I just grew up around them, you know. So it it definitely helped when I got into baseball of of realizing how everybody, you know, is is human. <laughs> and everybody is just playing baseball, really. There's obviously some that are better than others. But it I think the lessons learned are kind of just the experiences that go with it and, you know, just observing um, – people at the top of their craft and, and enjoying what they have to offer. Was there one thing that maybe like Tyler, that maybe like your dad, like tried to instill in you, maybe it doesn't have to be like a, like a phrase or like a saying or anything like that, but like the way, like how you play the game, right. Or like, is I'm sure that had to be a big part of, you know, growing up with him as your, your father. Yeah. Again, nothing that he sat down and tried to ingrain yeah. into me, but just watching him, um, how he interacted with, with the people in the clubhouse, um, how they went about their business, how he went about his business. Um, it was, it was really cool looking back, something I didn't probably notice in the time, but definitely stuck with me subliminally. But now looking back, like that's kind of what sticks out the most, I would say. Yeah. And um, just, just, it's really cool when I get to think about those experiences and not that I took them for granted, but I would have, I would have loved to be back in that moment to really fully understand what was happening in front of me and, uh, and enjoy it that way. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like I, you're, I, you're, you're a sponge. You're a sponge, Justin. Like at those times where, yeah, they might not all stick out, but you know, I, I, I remember personally, I started doing things as I got older because I saw my dad do it and not because he taught me it. It was just the certain mannerisms and, and how they carried themselves. And, and, you know, that was a, you know, a small thing is as a one I knew that was actually a pet peeve of my dad is when you pick up balls in the cage of of the the efficiency <laughs> of picking up the balls in the cage and that was a little and that like for me it's looking at, I'm like well that's why are you getting so caught up with that you know and like that bothered me and later it's like that was a lesson that was just him getting mad so each time as I got older it's like all right I gotta be efficient with picking up these balls because it's wasted time if it's wasted time I could be have this done be ready for another round and that's a little thing or the simple, the simple nature of after a game and taking the time to talk to somebody that just, that just spent money to watch you play. And, you know, I always, I, those are just things that I watched. I'm like, Oh, like that, that's cool. He's spending time. And as a kid, I'm like, Oh, I want to go in, in the locker room and like eat ice cream and just run around the training room or whatnot. Because I got older and you see the same reactions of what, you know, our fathers did and you can see, the joy that those families had to come see. Like, I think those are moments. And um, just wanted to say that. Cause I think like that, that's where I feel like the whole baseball nature of growing up comes from of what we experienced. It was the sponge, the sponge effect. Uh, and then as we got older, we're like, you know, you know, Holy shirts and pants, maybe we were a little bit more like our dads than we thought. Um, yeah. Getting a lot of that these days, especially, you know, my dad played for the Tigers for a little bit, just a couple years, but there's still some some guys that were around then that are here now. And uh, he also, when he got back into the game, his first job back into affiliated baseball was managing for double A AA and triple A for a combined four years for the Tigers. And now there's a few of his players that at that time that, you know, at that time I was 
13, 14, 15, um, being in those locker rooms, observing those games. And some of those players are now coaches in the system, which is kind of funny and kind of cool to see it all come full circle. So I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying the spring training. That's fascinating to hear. Yeah. Well, Tyler, I saw that, you know, you played in the, the little league classic for the Orioles, uh, this past August. Uh, I'm curious though, what was little league like for yourself? Uh, how did anything kind of stand out? Like what, what was your time, you know, those early young ages playing baseball? Like, what do you remember about that? Yeah. So until I stopped playing little league, uh, I stopped a little earlier in California. There's a lot of travel ball. Um, it's kind of year round more so and not as much, you know, football or basketball, but until I stopped playing Little League, every time I saw a shooting star and blew on a dandelion, I always I always wished to play in the League World Series. I loved watching the League World Series every single day or every summer. Um, I would watch any game I could because I always thought it was cool that kids my age were on TV. And I always watched my dad growing up on TV. I watched other players grow up on TV, and I knew I wanted to play on a big stage. And so in a way, I kind of got it. I kind of got my wish. You know, I played in the League Classic. I played in Williamsport. Uh, but I, I always, uh, like dreamt of, of that, of my buddies and I being on TV and winning baseball games. Um, so it was a really cool experience just to see the purity of it. Honestly, uh, kids that played earlier that day or the day before are sliding with us down on the, on the Hill, you know, or they have a game later that night. Uh, they got the Gatorade stain all over their mouth, you know, and it's just like, it's, it's so, it just brings you back, you know, just to a, a time when the game was like very simple and you basically were just having fun. I love that. Uh, Ryan, did you want to jump in at anything stand up for, yeah, for you? Yeah. You know, I, you know, was, well, one actually, Nev, you ever play at Williamsport before they redid it? Like, no, 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 it wasn't a part of the New York Penn League. Didn't have the, well, the- yeah, I, I, I just was clarifying. I didn't think you were cause you started with the Rockies, but Old one was a little bit of a death trap um, yeah. where the dugouts were because it, it honestly had to walk a mile to the, to the home plate. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, it just was a hazard, you know, in the, in the dugouts and uh, you lost your confidence in the ball to center field, but that's <laughs> irrelevant. Um, where I wanted to go with this was you brought up the enjoyment and the excitement of, you know, little league, like why we play the game. And I remember, you know, we've talked about this before of, when we get into pro ball, you it's awesome. You're excited about this next step, but then it becomes a business. It becomes about it's your job. And even though you love it, you have you have days where it's it's not the same same sensation that you had when you were 12. You know, so maybe could you touch on, you know, how do you remind yourself in moments where you know you don't try not to get so hard on, Hey, this is my livelihood, but also you're trying to remember, like, I I love this game. I don't want to lose that passion for it. Yeah. I think it's incredibly important to keep that passion up because playing angry, playing upset is no good for anybody. It's not good for the people around you. It's not good for yourself. Um, to keep bringing up, you know, my dad, I said he never had like sit down lessons, but this was one of them. I remember, um, I, it was my senior year of high school. Um, I was going through, I was going through the playoffs, the playoffs of our section. California doesn't have state championships. They just have sections for the cities. Um, and we're going through a run, you know, we weren't a highly seated team, but we were making a run. We ended up winning it. And before the championship game, my dad was telling me, I want you to enjoy this. 
um, because there's not many moments like this in baseball where you're on a team collectively that just wants to win until you're in the big leagues and you're on a team that has genuine aspirations to win a world series. This is hard to come by. Um, and so just enjoy it. And he was right. I mean, you know, as much as we try to pull together and, and have fun in the minor leagues, there's always everybody's common goal is the same and it doesn't involve everybody around you. It involves getting to the big leagues. You know, and that's kind of it seems far fetched sometimes when you're in A ball and you're in places like the the pre remodeled Williamsport and uh, you're off your last twenty. Um, but that that passion is is paramount, honestly. Um, there's very few people that make in this game without it, um, and they're just the ultra talented, God given players that were meant to play this game. Um, but that lesson has stuck out to me because it, it teaches you every, every year it's pretty apparent. Like you'll, everybody goes through these stretches where it doesn't always, you know, smell like roses and, uh, and trying to get back to really just enjoying the game as a whole is, is what usually brings you out of those, out of those, those ruts and really starts getting you back to back on your feet. Yeah, I mean, the other point, too, I mean, collectively, Justin, how many times are, like, just teams of anything growing up? This could be even from when we were, you were seven. You know, how many times did you, were you on a team that, you know, won, won a championship? No, definitely not. Yeah. So I was hoping maybe, like, one, none? No, yeah, high school, little <laughs> league, nothing. It was it was not, yeah. That, that I was just fascinated, like, when he was talking about the differences between the <laughs> minor league mindset and major league mindset, where it's like, I guess you're right. I've never thought of it like that, but when you're in the minor leagues, it is kind of more of an individualistic, like I'm just trying to get called up to the next level, the next level, as opposed to like maybe taking time to celebrate, like winning a South Atlantic league title or something. That's, yeah, that's mean, fascinating to hear. It's the ugly truth. I mean, we, you know, for, for moments, you know, you get teams pulled together and when you're in a competition, obviously you're trying to win, you know, you're not only caring about how you did that night. Uh, but as a whole, like everybody's trying to get the big leagues and you're certain steps away. And that's just the reality of it. Um, now, the first time, you know, as truth be told, just like my dad told me, the first time I felt that again since being in high school was last year with the Orioles, with the 2022 Orioles, where it was a collective, hey, we're pretty good. We can actually make some noise here and we can we can play some meaningful games in October. Um, you know, we didn't end up making the playoffs, but that was so fun to be around um, just 26 guys all pulling on the same end of the rope. You know, it was, it was a lot of fun. Wow. Yeah. That's the thing, Justin, the, uh, the point I was getting to is not to say that you had won zero championships and I'm sorry for that. <laughs> the point, the point coming out was it is so hard to win in anything that you do. And I think that we get caught up with moving forward and in baseball in this world when the moment comes and you move into pro ball and that, that changes from in the high school where you're with your friends and your buddies and you're trying to win. That's all that matters. Even college, you go there, you're still trying to win. Once you get into baseball, the, it changes. Now the mindset is I need to keep my career going. And then it truly doesn't come back into full circle until you make it to the big leagues and you're able to, to be a part of it for a longer part of it. Like that's just, that's, that is the ugly truth that Nev said. Um, but that was awesome. I was pumped for you guys last year, uh, especially with with all the guys, uh, you know, playing with, especially as brutal as 2021 was. Um, I will say, even though in, in pro ball, um, 
we we were saying about all the winning stuff. Oh, you know, it's individual stats. When you're losing, and it, it, it losing sucks. Um, Thank good. It, it's not fun, and even even if the your mindsets are different, um, you know, for us in 2021, I think Nev, what what did we start off? We went to Jacksonville and got our asses kicked. <laughs> yeah, it started, uh-huh. and then went to Charlotte and had the same thing happen. Yeah, I so. Right around when I made my debut, um, our good friend Stevie Wilkerson was called up about a week earlier, maybe a week and a half earlier. Um, and when I first got called up, when I made my debut, it was in the middle. I don't know how many games I ended up getting to, but it was a long losing streak. It was the longest of the 2021 season. Um, and Norfolk at the time was having a similar scuffle. Um, I think ours was a little before that. But anyway, our friend Stevie, he got um, he got called up in the middle of the Norfolk scuffle. And I think, you know, eight or nine games, 10 games, maybe. And uh, I think he got called up the very first day of the Orioles start of the losing streak in that 2021 season. And when I got there, I, you know, just asking him, like, hey, how's the vibe? Like. You know, what should I do and not do, basically, because I'm making my debut. Stevie's been around a little bit. I'm just trying not to piss anybody off. And uh, he goes, dude, it's uh, frankly, it's not that great right now. You know, a lot of people not happy. Um, I don't think I've won in a month. That's what he told me, because he went, <laughs> he went, I think, I don't think he went the whole month of May without a win, because he went from the Norfolk losing streak straight to the Baltimore losing streak. And he just kind of realized that in that moment. He's like, dude, I haven't won in a month. <laughs> and I don't, I mean, I've heard of some streaks. I don't know if I've heard of that, but uh, it was just kind of one of those moments where you just laugh at your own misery, you know? That's how you get through it, too. You laugh, you don't cry. <laughs> Did a lot of laughing and a little bit of crying. But yeah. Um, yeah, sorry, we got a little off script there, Justin. But yeah, that's just the nature of the beast. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I love the original question, which got to there, but I wanted to tell that story. I think I, like I remember Wilkie exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> go ahead, Justin. No, this is good though, because I actually had some questions about playing in Norfolk. Um, so the our other co-host of this podcast, Brian O'Grady, he has a great rant about playing in Norfolk, playing in Harbor Park, how he lost probably four or five home runs to the wind coming off the, the bay or whatever it is out there. Um did you guys have similar experiences playing in Harbor Park? Is that a, is that not a hitter friendly place to play? It's not great uh, for a righty that likes to use the whole field to that much. Uh, that right center gap can be kind of a death trap. Kind of for me, I let it get to me too much uh, probably early on, where I felt like that wasn't an option, so I had to get the head out, pull the ball, and that's really not my game. I mean, it might be where my results are, but the that getting that result ends up is because I'm using the whole field really. Um, so I let that frustrate me probably a little too much, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it gets you a little bit, you know, um, especially after you just come from a series in Charlotte and you're playing a Cracker Jack box and uh, then you go to Norfolk, but I mean, it's just part of it. There's a, there's plenty of stadiums like that. You know, Comerica just moved the fences in about 15 feet. I think it was, but I mean, it's still a big yard and at the end of the day, you just got to play the game and can't, can't let that stuff get to you. You just got to be process oriented and do what you can. Yes. Yeah. Mess with minds. Justin. And especially if a team comes in and puts up 20 runs on you and you feel like you can't score, that really messes with you. Um, and unfortunately Charlotte, I think did that to us where that, that was the day we, I got called up. 
The day I got oh. called up, I was checking the box score. Let's see how the boys are doing. Oh. Boys oh. weren't doing well. Yeah. <laughs> boys weren't doing well. We were uh, – I might have been out in right field for that one too. I don't even know. Um, yeah, because I got called up and there was like three injuries the day before or that day maybe. I don't know. But it's a thin bench for a day or so. Yeah, that, that yeah. That's the hardest part is when you, when you have a mental – it's uh, – when you get stuck – and then someone comes in and just absolutely lights it up. And you're like, what do we have to do to yeah. get to do something here? Or please let this game end in the next 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, so I'm surprised, Brian. I mean, I, I've heard it from Brian. Yeah. He doesn't, he's not a fan of Harbor Park, but I, I, I does not, that does not reflect the city, just, just the stadium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah just, uh, I just like that part around. <laughs> just 360. <laughs> or not 360, 180. 180 for Baby Happy. Get the Norfolk skyline, it'd be great. That'd be one Yeah, it doesn't have that same ambiance when you're looking at like construction cranes and like everything. It's like I maybe they're going for gritty. like a San Francisco thing, but yeah, really gritty. Gritty, you know, blue collar city. <laughs> I liked I like I went to a game at Charlotte. I actually saw that you guys, the tides play in 21 in Charlotte. That might have been like the first weekend Adley was there. Um, great stadium, by the way. Uh what what was that 21 season like playing with Adley though? Cause he, you know um, we all know what he is now at the major league level, but seeing him for the first time, like what, what was that experience like playing with Adley? Uh, yeah. Adley's one of the few guys that I've played with or against, frankly, that match up to the hype um, in every way. Honestly. I mean, it, there was, I forget, there was some joke we had where he did something dumb. I don't know. And jokingly dumb, like nothing serious, but, and then we were all like, oh, we found a flaw. There it is. There's his There's his one flaw. <laughs> we found it. Now we can all exhale. But uh, now he's – truthfully, he's just a great guy. Um, very quickly, like somebody I bonded with, um, became good friends with, uh, in a matter of really getting to know him over the course of a few months. You know, I got to meet him here and there, be around him um, sparingly before last season. But last season, just getting close to him and finding out what he's all about really um, – and he's just he lives up to every every inch of the hype and uh he's he's a great guy to be around a great guy to have in the locker room honestly he keeps things light he gets his work done i can't say enough good things about him yeah ryan same thing for you yeah i mean that was you you when people come in with a big recognition it can go two ways you can either they have the hype and there's there's some sort of persona around it or it can be the other case where they're just, you know, they're, they're just their own identity. And Adley came in as all the hype came around for, for him, but he was just this calm, collected, go about his work, work extremely hard, treats others well. And then the thing is when you're around him, my thing, when I always would compare, like when we talk about Gunner and Adley, someone's like, well, you don't think Adley's good. I'm like, well, those are the things you sit there and you go, he's good at this. Oh, he's good at that. So you just become so <laughs> it just is normal that he's so good at 10 things. Mm-hmm. You know, that you're like, well, yeah, like is he bad at something? That that's what that Nev is referring yeah. to. We're just like, it's not There's like the yeah, it wasn't like for me, I wasn't overwhelmed being like, oh my gosh, like his talent's unbelievable. You just there and you just marvel. Like, are you actually bad at something? Because there's, there's no uh, what, what's the phrase? There's no uh, weakness in the armor. I guess yeah. that's what it seems like with Adley. Yeah, no, he's great. He's a great guy. Every every sense of the word. 
He's also really good at TikTok too. He just dropped a new one this this past week. He just seems like a delight, like a really like great character guy to to you know bus rides, long plane rides. Like I, I feel like like you said, yeah. There's there's no bad part about him. Yeah, that's I think the best part about his growing uh, social media presence is you can find out he's just a dork like the rest of us, um, <laughs> and just making some jokes. Just it's it's really his personality. Honestly, he he likes to entertain people. He likes to laugh and and it's it's cool to see on the internet because we see it all the time but you know just the everyday fan like doesn't get to see that side of him and i think it would make him love him even more did he ever ask you to be into tiktok i know my favorite one was like johnny riser and <laughs> oh, there's another another guy but yeah doing a little lip sync whatever you want to call it he never asked you to do those i never had the pleasure but uh, i think we'll spare mm. everybody that anyway <laughs> I, I don't know man yeah missed out um <laughs> We interrupt this episode to bring you a word from the official sponsor of Not For Long Media and the Breaking Bass podcast, the original Fudge Kitchen. It is a staple of the Jersey Shore with six locations in Cape May, Wildwood, North Wildwood, Stone Harbor, and Ocean City. The original Fudge Kitchen makes all of their fudge in-store guaranteeing a delicious product, so stop by and let them know that Not For Long Media and Breaking Bass sent you. Check them out online at fudgekitchenswithans.com as they are shipping fudge and sweet treats all across the country. Now back to the episode. Jumping ahead though, like when you did get called up to the O's in 21, like what, how special of a day was that for you? And like, who was the first person you called when you got the news? Oh, I called my dad immediately. Um, it was kind of a up in the air situation. I didn't know really officially until I called and asked. Uh, so it wasn't as climatic and, and theatric as the, as you might think like, Hey, you're going to the show. Congratulations. I got a call about midnight. Uh, the night before, hey, we need you to go pack your bags. Um, so, because uh, that night, Mountcastle wore one in the hand and traded the day before, or something like that. And uh, it was basically, we're not sure what the situation is, but you need to go to Chicago. And so, frantically packing your bags, like, do I pack for a week? Do I pack for a month? Do I pack for the rest of the year? Um, and just getting two hours of sleep essentially because I'm taking the first flight out. Um, so yeah, I finally called cause there was a bunch of stuff like on Twitter, stuff like that. But I finally called our, our travel guy or uh, not the travel guy, but one of the assistant GMs and uh, it's like, Hey, is this, is this happening? He's like, Oh yeah, we're activating you. I was like, okay. So that was my welcome to the show moment. Call my dad. <laughs> um, yeah, called my dad, uh, and at the time he was really sick. Um, he had a great mixture of COVID and bacterial infection at the same time. Um, he had just been released from the hospital. Um, he was on some heavy antibiotics. He lost a ton of weight, um, and uh, that was that was probably the hardest part about. I mean, there wasn't many hard parts about it, but that was a crushing blow knowing he wasn't going to be there. We'd always kind of talked about that moment every contract he signed uh on the coaching side since it kind of became a a real a reality that i'm i could be a big leader one day was no matter what doesn't matter like i get a day to go watch my son play in the big leagues on his debut um and the time he was with the yankees and cashman was was more than happy to put that in the contract for him and then it just he got sick at the wrong time and so he had to watch it from the couch so i got called up on a friday um, I was supposed to make my debut on the Friday, but we got rained out. So we had a double editor the next day, but that ended up being, or providing the opportunity for all my family members. Um, you know, my close family members, my friends, 
uh, to red eye that night and make it to the game the next day. Um, and so it was, it was a great special moment. I still have the same core group of friends, um, from my high school days. Um, a couple of guys that made it were on my high school team that I was talking about earlier. Um, and just kind of, it, it really took a, a village, I guess, to, to get me where I was at that point, you know, like I was on the one on the field, but there were countless people that, that got me to that moment, you know, and I couldn't have done it without them. So it was, it was an awesome moment to spend with them after the day was done. What Was there a game that it, like, what was the first game he was able to make it out and see you play in person? He still, Oh, when uh, the angels came to town last year, that was, the, that was the first time he saw me uh, play in the big leagues. Um, so the first two games, it was a four game series. The first two games were the last two days of his uh, suspension from the Mariners angels scuffle. Um, and so he watched it in the GM's box and he said he hated every moment of it because he, you know, he's got his team, he's an interim manager. He's trying to, it's essentially an audition for him. He eventually got the job this year, but you know, it's his team out there. Like he's got his jobs on the line too. But when I come up, he, there's that internal battle of he wants me to do well, but yeah, he said he hated every second of it. Um, he would much prefer to watch from the stands or from the couch. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Ryan, do you want to jump in? Yeah, no, I was just remembering it's, it, it's gotta be, you know, th- those moments. It, it, it's cool. You know, I, I, um, I never got to experience any of that, but I know my dad and, and my grandfather had moments, but that there was a different cases on the same team. Um, so I just know it's a, it's a cool blend of, uh, of what's happening. Um, and then for you though, too, on, on another sense, I mean, did it, uh, did you ever want to – well, I shouldn't say you want to play well regardless. But, I mean, would it have been something if you put it to him specifically? Would that have been a good talking point? Or would you guys <laughs> – I, you know, for such a hard O, my dad comes off of as um, – I, I behind closed doors, he he would have been happy regardless. I and mean, he would have done a quiet fist bump um, when I got home or something. <laughs> He would have kind of just he would have directed his anger at the loss as a whole potentially, but uh, you know there were, he would probably try to separate him into two separate memories of oh we lost the game and my son got the job done. Um, but at the end of the day, like I know he's rooting for me. Um, that's why he hated so much because he knew he probably shouldn't be. But <laughs> I think he any parent can't help it, especially one as supportive as him. No that's doubt. true. Um. I, I did want to go back though. I think uh, your first MLB home run, I went back and saw the video of that up in Toronto third deck. That'd be one of the coolest things ever. Like, can you like take me through that at bat? Were, were you looking for a specific pitch and like how, like how good did it feel coming off the bat? That thing looked amazing. That was one of the few major league at bats that um, going into it, I had a pretty constructive plan for, I mean, I always have, I always try to have a plan, but I had gotten to face Ryu luckily enough a few times in spring training. So I think I had three at bats off him up into that at bat. So I at least had some comfort in knowing, okay, I, I know what this guy's got. Um, but yeah, I, I was just trying to get him up, um, use the whole field and uh, yeah, walk run around those bases, especially after where the ball ended up. It was just this weightlessness of, of chills, honestly, of uh, I ran around first base and, Vladdy's like got his hands on his shoulders, like looking at me and or on his hips looking at me like that. And uh, if if there's actually the clip that's usually on MLB, 
uh, you can kind of see me like for a second, almost start laughing. And I kind of just put my head down trying to clear it because we were also kind of getting our ass kicked. Uh, I think it was the last game of the year. And uh, I was already seven to nothing in the fourth. I think I let off the fourth. Um, and uh, yeah, so it wasn't um, something I could outwardly express enjoy, but just the thoughts in my head of like, holy, holy shit, I just did that. That was awesome. And uh, something you always try to chase, honestly. But, but I, as I was around the bases, I was thinking of my friends or my family back home. I'm watching TV, all screaming at the TV. That's that's all I can remember thinking of because it was pretty quiet. We were on the road, and so those replays were going on through my head, and it was just it was a, it was a pretty cool moment. Did you get the ball back? I did get the ball back. So it went into a uh, box. Uh, it actually just missed the top top row, and went into like just went right underneath that that facade and into one of the boxes. And the boxes was I guess some uh, little league team some kid on the team must have had a really rich dad. But uh, so the next day said red rich dad also got him field passes for BP. And uh, so they, uh, he brought the ball back to me and that was, that was really cool of him. I, I brought out a bat for whoever, I don't know. I just signed it and gave it. Um, but yeah, that's something, you know, fans don't have to do that. So it's always, you always got to show your appreciation when, when they do give a ball back. Yeah. That, that would have been, that would have been like, bad situation though if he was just like you know it's mine i'll keep it i wonder how often you think that happens where it's like the fan is like no i, I caught it I, i'll just keep it <laughs> yeah it was actually the next year when i saw them so i hit the home run it was the last day of the season it oh. wasn't until the following <laughs> year that they came back on the field so he, he and now that i'm remembering it, i got the ball back that night but i saw the family the next day or the next year and made sure to pay them my respects <laughs> i love that. where, is where that does that yeah. yeah i was gonna say yeah, so for Christmas, I, I framed it with the bat I hit it with. Um, they gave it to my dad. Um, I That same Christmas got to uh, – I gave my jerseys to my grandparents, um, the home and the road jersey. So my first home jersey and then the jersey I wore on my debut. And that's just something that's – that was one of the coolest things I've been able to do of, of like kind of like, you know – Without them, none of this would happen, and they've been with me every step of the way. So being able to, in the smallest sense of the meaning, give back, you know, um, and show them my appreciation was was a really cool moment for me. You've had a lot of special moments throughout your major league career. Uh, you know, we just talked about your first home run. Where does uh, exchanging the lineup card with your dad, I think you touched on it a little bit earlier, uh, when the Orioles were playing the Angels last year. Where, where does that rank on, on terms of that? Yeah, that's up there. I mean – it's hard to rank them, but it's hard not to put that one at the top, really, of just so, something so special, honestly. Um, not many families get to do that. And uh, another moment of kind of like, look how far we've come. Um, yeah, just taking that all in. And every time – it sometimes it pops up on my Instagram feed of just some random reel from a fan account of not even fans of me, just like ooh, baseball sports at – whatever you know um and so that's kind of surreal and people send me the stuff on on instagram too like oh just saw this you know so it's it's pretty unique and something i don't take for granted it was a really cool day yeah ryan do you want to jump in yeah no it's you know and all the things that we talk about of 
of moments and, and the stresses of of the season, the grind, everything that happens. It, it's the 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 romantic side of baseball and how like family oriented the sport really is, and how it how rare it is to have moments like that with family on these stages. You know, um, you never take those for granted. You know, and that's something that. Uh, that's something I learned from my family members. Like I said, I never got to experience that with my, with myself, but my dad would talk about it a lot with my uncle and uh, my grandfather. And I guess in those moments, it's glad you appreciated the moment and you can look back and be like, this really is so surreal. And only a few people, you know, in, in, in the, the whole sports industries can say that they can have a moment like that. So for me, it always like kind of gets me watching it with Nev because like I know the relate like knowing Nev and seeing the relationship, how much he's so family oriented, you know, be able to share a moment like that on the biggest stage, you know, is just just awesome. So that's all I have on that. <laughs> Thanks, Rip. Yeah, no, it's something that's it's pretty impossible to replicate that a feeling like that, honestly. Um, the only thing I can think come close if if I get that opportunity, a similar opportunity with my brother. Yeah. Um I will absolutely lose it that day. I mean, I, I don't, the Contreras brothers kind of did a similar thing. And uh, the older brother, Wilson, Wilson's the older one, right? Yeah. He, he's the one crying his little brothers over there laughing at him. And it's like, um, that'll definitely be me. I, there's not many people. <laughs> I, there's no one I pull for harder than my little brother. I can attest to that. Justin, every time we would be there, Nev was always following his brother in college. It's Baylor, right? Yep. Yep. Nice with dogs. Every time. And like that, that was a cool thing to, to just see how much you care for, um, for him. That, that was awesome. And now he's hopefully he's starting his own path. Dodgers, right? Yeah. He's paving his own way. Um, he was kind of in a weird situation with the draft cause he had the COVID year. Yep. <clears throat> Excuse me. So he actually had two more years of eligibility after what was his junior year. His third year of college. Um, and he's also super young for his age. So he's, he's 21. He's currently 21. He doesn't turn 22 until the end of August. So it was kind of like he was a draft eligible sophomore with another, you know, year. Um, and he's somebody legitimately that, um, had he gone back to school, he signed the 11th round. Um, he got some, some overslot money to kind of coax him away from going back to school. Um, but yeah, he's got a lot of potential. He's, he's the the definition of projectable. He's always been a late bloomer, but uh, he's a much better athlete than I am. He's got a cannon for an arm, and he's starting to put on some some good muscle too. So somebody to watch out for. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say like, how does your game compare to his? Does he play uh, the same positions as you guys do? So he um, he's a hell of an outfielder. He's actually been on um, the Sports Center top plays twice. Uh, for Robin home runs while he was at, at Baylor. He played most of his innings in Baylor uh, in the outfield. And, um, yeah, he's a hell of an outfielder. And he also had some innings in the infield. So they're kind of trying to see if they can make, you know, a, a utility monster out of him um, to be able to plug him in anywhere. It's just kind of where the game's going right now, too. Um, so they know they have outfield in, in their back pocket for him if, if the infield doesn't work out. So he's still putting in some work at third and first right now, too. That's I, I had a follow up off of that too, where it's like I, I know that you play all the corners. Like, is it both corner outfields and, and both corner infields? Like, how much work do you have to put in on each one of those positions to be ready at like you know a moment's notice to go in at either one of those? 
Yeah, that's that's definitely um, something I take pride in uh, over the last couple of years of of just being able to plug me in anywhere, really. Um, you know, I'm no Andrew Jones in the outfield, but uh, I, I, I try to get the job done. You know, I, I'm out there um, first and foremost usually because I'm hitting, and that's a way to get me in the lineup. But um, it's uh, something I'm taking pride in, too, for sure, being able to not really worry about me if you have to put me in some anywhere on the field. Ryan, did you say you played the outfield at some point in the minors like that? that how was that experience for you? Well, the one game specifically I was talking about, I played right field because we had a lot of injuries. And, like, I feel fine doing it, just hadn't been put out there. I, I like it, you know? Um, it was I was just so fired up because everyone just – no one would let me go out there. I'm like, I'm not that bad of an athlete, I swear. Um, I think everyone thinks I'm so – What? I was going to say outfield um, can be your best friend or your worst enemy. Cause there's some days where the game's going by quick guys, punching everybody out, getting a lot of ground balls even. And you just kind of run out there, hang out for a little bit, run back in game goes by quick, but there's other games guys start getting hit around a little bit. It starts becoming a track meet. So there's some balance there of where it can be. I, for, I first started going out there the first couple of games I had, this was in Dublin 2019, I was like, this is why is everybody say outfield is harder on your legs? Like, this is way easier. I don't have to like get low. I don't have to jump step before every pitch. Like, kind of just stand there, step, step, get ready. Okay, foul ball. Um, And then we had a a marathon game, I remember. And I was like, oh, okay, this is is what people are talking about. (laughs) Yeah. And the only time it's not as bad if a marathon is, is unfortunately if the ball is going out of the ballpark, which then that's not making anyone happy. No, because uh, then you're just sitting out there thinking, man, this is tough. And then you're thinking, well, it's hopefully we have a longer inning. Oh, it's a short inning. We're back out here. Oh, no. And it's just it's not a good feeling. Get some uh, respect for your teammates, too, because, you know, I, I try to keep the ball in front of me, um, not be a liability, still make some solid plays when I can. But, you know, the really good outfielders out there, they make it look so easy because the ball's in the air. You just go run toward it. Well, it's not that simple when you're actually out there. It's a lot of factors, spin on the ball, winds, um, how hard being trying to figure out how hard the ball's hit when the sound hasn't gotten to you yet, stuff like that. Um, they're those guys are super talented and and they're difference makers for sure. Hey, do you remember the guy on Gwinnett, uh, Nev, the center Pache. fielder? Pache. That guy and his jumps, Justin. That guy could be in the other uh gap. <coughs> He could be. I remember specifically, he was in the left center field gap and chased down a ball at the warning track in right center, not diving, not anything, just got it. It yeah, looked like he had zero chance of getting that. Yeah, there's, there's, I'd say the, the biggest eye opener when I got to the big leagues of this is different. This is um, like, you know, because nowadays, like a lot of people throw 100 you know, might not be as accurate or as consistent, but it's when you see a hundred, a hundred is a hundred. It's hard. Um, and it's tough to hit no matter who's throwing it. But I'd say the biggest jump was watching the elite outfielders in the big leagues, Byron Buxton, Miles Straw, Cedric Mullins, um, and guys that you don't even realize Brett Phillips, uh, just that just go get the ball and really have an impact on the game by just catching a baseball in the outfield, really limiting that extra base, that extra 90 feet for the other team. Um, it's something that just looks so easy on TV, but 
once you're actually out there doing it, you have a real appreciation for it. That's what I've always heard too. I have to imagine that like playing the outfield infrequently and then going on the road and doing it has to be one of the hardest things because like the, the stadium lights are different. Like the backdrop is different when you're trying to chase like falls. And, and I hadn't even like mentioned like playing at the trop. Like, is that, am I on the right path there where it's like, if it's like, you're just kind of thrown into a visiting park as like a corner outfielder, that's like, that, that has to be a, a big challenge. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, where you have to be responsible and, you know, make your to-do list when you go to a new stadium and that first day do a little extra work of, you know, really getting the lay of the land when you haven't been somewhere. I haven't had the pleasure of playing outfield in the trop yet, but uh, that place is not easy. The sky is the same color as the ball. You know, I've, it's uh, every field has its own kind of uniqueness and its own personality. So that's, that's some guys are on top of. That's just the side of the game. That's really cool to me that not, not everybody gets to see just the real preparation that goes into playing a major league game. Absolutely. Uh, Brian, I just have one last question, then rapid fire. If you want, if you got anything else, no, no fire away. Uh, so my last like real question, um, going to the tigers this year, like how excited are you to be a part of an organization where potentially you could have like large chunks of playing time handed to you. And, and it's also like, we, like you said, uh, your, your dad played there for a few years. Yeah. Um, as a player, all you can really hope for is opportunity. You know, um, you can live with, with the fact of, you know, if, if you weren't good enough, you weren't good enough, but feeling like you never got a shot is something that a lot of guys, a lot of guys struggle with, you know? And so I'm, I'm very thankful for, every second I'm in the big leagues and every second I get to play this game. And I'm, I'm very excited to be with, with Detroit. Um, and I think we're in the right direction. Uh, I've got nothing but good things to say about Baltimore. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, when I got traded over there, it was um, Elias's second full year, third, second full year, but it was a pandemic year. So really it was kind of a, you know, kind of a weird year, but I could tell that there was a direction I could tell that there was a plan. I could tell that, that there was light at the end of the tunnel. And I think we're starting to see it in Baltimore now. Um, and so now being traded over here, uh, start of a new regime, um, similar, similar aspects in the rebuild where you can see there's, there's a method um, and a plan and light at the end of the tunnel again. So I'm excited to be a part of it. I love that dude. Well, Hey, wishing the best of luck this year. Um, I had a couple of like fun rapid fire, like, you know, wrap up questions here for you. Um, I saw on your Instagram that you and Kyle Stowers have known each other for a long time. Was that Little League or Travel Ball, or how long have you known Kyle? Yeah, Travel Ball. Um, I started uh, just playing. We, just, we played Travel Ball together. I think we were 11, maybe 12. And, um, yeah, I mean, another another guy, I kind of, you know, we're only four months apart, but um, when he when he's got drafted a couple years after me, he went to college, and um, – being there for his debut, being there for when he got called up to AAA. Um, I had a little bit of sense of pride too. Like, you know, this is somebody I, I care about, somebody I go back a long ways with. Um, and seeing your, your buddies and your friends succeed is nothing like it. Even back then, could he hit the ball a long way? Yeah, Kyle was – honestly, he was an amazing pitcher. And uh, he he talks about it now uh, – because he was a great pitcher in college too, but he hated that everybody thought he was a pitcher because he loved to hit and he knew he could hit. And uh, so he, he I think he talks about it now of like, he like self-sabotaged his pitching career because he wanted to prove to everybody that he could hit. But uh, back, I mean, back in the day, and he's one of those guys you play catch with and you can just feel 
feel the ride, feel the the ball go, you know, through your glove really. And uh, he he threw some fuzz. You know, I think he got up probably like ninety four ish with like he said, like not really even trying. Um, but yeah, he's just all an all around athlete. He played basketball in, in high school. He was dunking on kids, and um, yeah, he's 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 a fun guy to be around. I did not know that. That's I'm excited to watch a full season of this now. Yeah, I'll have to watch out for the cannon out there in the outfield. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, walkout song. Which what do you have as your walkout song? And then is there like a reasoning or like reason like you picked it out? Yeah. Uh, last year, my walkout song, which I will probably take into this year, uh, is "Coming Undone" by Corn. A little heavy metal. Um, I'm not a heavy metal guy. I really, I'm really not. I. <laughs> If I'm by myself working out, um, there's a few songs that'll really get me going if I'm in the last set. But other than that, I'm not I'm not a huge music guy. Like I don't I listen to a lot of podcasts. I don't I don't really put on music in the car. But I have a few songs where if I need a last set to to really get or a song to get me through that last set, and that's one of them, and it just gets me going. It's got a good start too. Now with the pitch clock too, you can't like have a cool build up, but that song gets right to nope. the point. Oh, that I didn't that gets, think of that. Yeah, it gets right to the point. It starts out hard and it stays that way, and and uh, it's a good one, I think. Ryan, baseball strategies are changing, Justin. It's not just on the field; it's everything else. Walk-up song, everything. Get used to it. That's I, that's an unintended consequence, but I guess you're right. Yeah, like there would be sometimes you go to like Orioles games and you, or like you just like some guys became like synonymous with their walkout song. They let that thing ride for like a minute. I feel like, but yeah, I guess yeah. that'll be, you know, <laughs> that, that clip of uh Harper, like walking up in the world series, hitting the first oh, pitch yeah. bomb. Like you can watch that clip for, I mean, it takes like a minute and a half, which is <laughs> a little excessive, but it's, uh, it's, it's a cool moment that, you know, it's just it's not going to be part of the game anymore. Which, as a whole, probably for the best, but it's gonna it's gonna suck that little things like that. I'm I'm interested to see how they they let the clock work because it's really all on the clock manager, honestly. When they press that button to start it, but I think part of part of baseball is a home field advantage. And you think about Edwin Diaz, Edwin Diaz with the Mets, Diaz with the Mets. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with the trumpets, like the whole place gets bumping. And as, as, as a player, like you feel that you much more like it when it's on your side, but uh, those Padre games, some of the coolest moments I've watched on a baseball field growing up and still were Trevor Hoffman walking out to hell's bells, like awesome. And it took a while, frankly, but that was part of the experience. And that's what LB is trying to, that's what LB's trying to get is the best fan experience, you know, where they make all their money watching at home is not, they don't get that experience, but that's why people come to the games. That's why people, they, they come to hope to see Trevor Hoffman pitch in the ninth moments like that. How many people went to Mets games just in the hope of watching Diaz walk out to trumpets, you know, that little thing is going to be gone, which is kind of a shame. Oh, yeah. Closer entrances. That's the best part about being in there in person because the lights are flickering. Like there's a whole, like there's a hype video going like David Bednar's renegades, my favorite. Like it's just, I hope we don't miss, I hope we don't lose out on some of that. I got to check that one out. Cause that's a big Steelers tradition. I didn't even know he walked out to renegade. Mm. It is the coolest. Yeah. 
Rip we'll we'll work on we'll work on the we'll work on the clock managers. We'll just any good walk up song, anything where the fans are getting going. Maybe just your hand doesn't click the button for like you know, ten seconds. Let it be known that Rip wants to hear Bednar walk out to Renegade just like they do at Heinz Field, or formerly known as Heinz Field. Yeah, but I'm still Ra- I'm going to clarify Ravens Ravens fan, but it is cool. Renegade is cool, cool. for all the Steelers fans. I will say that. But Ravens by thirty. Uh, <laughs> let let the Omar whistle Justin. play. Yeah, keep roll, keep rolling, Justin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I just had a couple last last ones for you. Um, over the years, was there one teammate that's made you laugh the hardest? This guy on this podcast is one of them, um, for reasons we shall have to talk about later. But um, there's been a few out there. Um. Yeah, it's tough to say. I have a buddy I haven't talked to him in a while, but Max George um, with Colorado. I spent a couple years in eight ball with him. Um, just there's some, fun, there's some funny guys in this game you run into. but uh, And that's what it's really all about. Like Anybody will tell you when they retire, they don't actually miss playing baseball. Um, it'd be cool to hit one more home run, walk around, the, run around the bases. But, I mean, when you get done with the game, the thing you miss most is that locker room. So I've oh, relationships, the relationships yeah. that everything you do in life is not, it's, it's tremendous, but if you do it without the people around you, then it doesn't have as much meaning. You know, it's the same thing with baseball. Like it's awesome to go out there and to rake, play well, you know, have success. But if you're not doing it with a group that you enjoy being with, you know, it really doesn't have the same meaning. That, that was the biggest thing for me, retiring, um, was just all the memories of the people I was with from every level. So yeah. I, I'm right there with you. And, yes, we'll – Justin, a little bit off the record, we can – we'll take the earmuffs off. Yeah. And, and One more fun. guy. One more guy. Ben Bowden, I believe he's with the Phillies now. I still keep in touch with him, send him a meme every now and then. <laughs> just hilarious because he's a closer, was a closer when I was with him. And he's got his headphones in. He's – dancing it's 40 minutes before the game and he's not going to pitch for another three hours but he's got his hot back on he's got his he's in his sliders and his beats on and he's getting ready then um which i always thought was funny but he's he's a great guy to have around something to laugh at something to keep it nice and loose i love that uh when, when you're coming up for the rockies i was looking at the, the names of the minor league teams that you played for uh is there a favorite out of the hawks tourists jet hawks and yard goats is that any of those uh um, I loved the town of Asheville, which was the tourists, Asheville, North Carolina. Um, I thought it was a great, a great, like, kind of unknown town in the in the mountains, really. Um, and for the people that have been there, they love playing in that city. Or that city stadium is pretty cool too. It's it it did feels just like an old time baseball field without you know too many of the drawbacks of being at an actually old field. You know. Um, that was a great place to play um, until the big leagues. The Hartford stadium was the nicest stadium I had been in um, just as far as coming to the field every day. And they drew some good fans and it was a very new updated stadium. Um, good place to hit too. And so that was a fun stadium to call your home for half the year. Um, so yeah, those two, those two rank up in the top. So would you rather be a yard good or a tourist? Probably yard go. Cause that means you're in double A, not low A. Okay, fair enough. 
<laughs> I like I like Jet Hawks. That would be like I don't I've never heard of that before, but I would like play there forever if I could. Yeah, that was a cool that was a that was a cool year. It was a great year to hit. That is the probably the most hitter friendly baseball field in all of baseball. Um, it just blows thirty five miles an hour straight to right center field every night. <laughs> Um, there's, there's been more wind outs than rain outs in that, in that franchise's history. And, uh, it didn't, unfortunately it didn't make the cut when MLB took over the Marling system and re- kind of realigned everything. Um, so I don't believe anybody plays there anymore, but it's a good place to hit. <laughs> so funny. Um, all right. Last question. Uh, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? Well, Probably something my dad said, um, but uh, just uh, maybe nothing like directly, but just the idea of, of really enjoying your time um, at the yard, honestly. Um, it's, it's something not everybody gets to experience. And, uh, you know, even when it's 100 degrees and you're in some place that's really humid or you know, you're not doing so great. Like those, those moments you start talking about for the rest of your life, really. So just staying in the moment and, uh, and just enjoying yourself really. I love that. That's all I had. If that's all Justin has, then I don't have anything else for you now. <laughs> um, but you know, awesome having you on. Uh, thank you. We'll again, we'll have to, for, for everyone else, we'll, we'll share some stories at the right time. Uh, there's a lot more, but, uh, Hey, uh, take care of yourself, man. You know, maybe go get yourself a nice steak on, uh, Justin and then, uh, yeah. Send him a Venmo. But yeah, yeah thanks perfect. guys. Thanks for having me. Um, it was a lot of fun. I'll come back anytime you want me. And before we get out of here, a special thank you to the band stick figure for allowing us to use today's intro and outro music.